Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson making the show happen. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Shout out to Blackbird Studio and the Blackbird Academy live from Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee. They host us each and every day. We have appreciated them so much uh, throughout the last six months or so and uh, thrilled about the partnership we have with John and Martina and everybody here. They have been extremely hospitable and they will be for you as well. If you'd like to go to school to learn how to be a studio engineer, audio engineer, if you want to work on the road at shows, at a concert like Paul attended last night, if you want to work in studio and record with the best in the business, theblackbirdacademy.com gets it done for you. Over 14,000 feet of rehearsal space, you get hands-on experience behind the board, and you do it with the state-of-the-art facility. Over 1,400 mics, 50 amps, 70 guitars. Uh, you have 10 fully functional studios. We're sitting in one of them right now. The place is vast, it's massive, and it is as good of a studio as you're going to find anywhere in the country, period. TheBlackbirdAcademy.com. A quick word about last night since you mentioned it. Uh, about 20 years ago, my wife and I and two good friends of ours, she was my girlfriend at the time, went to see the Black Crows at Starwood Amphitheater, and they sucked. It was one of the worst concert experiences of my life. The number one worst concert experience of my life. Uh, they played Ascend Amphitheater last night, and they play again tonight. Uh, I decided to take a flyer. They've sobered up, uh, and they were playing Shake Your Money Maker, their breakout album their first album, Start to Finish. I decided to go. I took Mr. Lance Lee. We had a big time, and this was the concert I should have seen 20 years ago. This is what they should have done. They were excellent. Lance, your thoughts quickly. Yeah, it was excellent. Great show. Excellent guitar work. We had a big time. Beautiful night. Sometimes. And, uh, redemption. Good job, boys. Why didn't you do that 20 years ago? Sometimes sobering up and drying out, I mean, it's always good for the individual, right? It's good for the... Uh, behind the scenes life it's not always the best for a band right well, i don't know it if takes he's out some of the personality sober, and bravado I, I don't know if he's going to alcoholics and anonymous me, uh, meetings he said uh, i'm not into politics chris robinson but y'all need to legalize so oh. uh, he's he's not living a completely sober well, life but he's not out of control like he was crazy. when he left the right. stage after five minutes to go do something the first time i saw him. Yeah, and some some can just function and some can't. So again, I'm not. I'm not saying that you should not do that. I, he's doing what's best for him, and and that's great. But sometimes when the band tries to get straight, it's not the best performance. Right. Right. And this it's very this cut works. and dry and boring. Yes, right. Yeah. And that's you say. Yeah. It's the better. bad habit feeds the good rock and roll. Yeah. It, oftentimes it, they put on a show. They've found some kind of balance. And yeah, we think good. we saw Kate Hudson, who co-parents, uh, oh, they're yes. divorced. But they have a child or children together, and so that was an extra it's, highlight. It's, it's similar, but not the same to Jonah Hill losing weight and being less funny. Yes. He did something that's good for his own health and himself, but in doing so, Didn't serve you as almost became less marketable 
as an actor because people found him less funny as a. Could be as self-deprecating. Yeah. To himself. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, that's dead on. That's a very apt comparison. Hit us up on Twitter. No, he's not at quite Outkick the three sixty. Yeah. Uh, news from Hoover, Alabama. I thought it was cool uh, and a nice touch. Clark Lee, very well dressed today, as a lot of these coaches are. But Clark Lee got it done at the podium. Also cool, he brought his football helmet from his playing days to put in front of him at the podium. That Just is a, cool. a very small, subtle, nice touch to tie in. He's from Nashville. Uh, played high school ball here, played college ball here, and is now the head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores with a, a, a big uphill climb. Also, uh, we, we had a topic recently about if you were a coach, if you were an athletic program, are you diving in head first with NIL or are you going to take the patient approach? We have seen Tennessee dive in. We have seen Alabama and Georgia dive in. Clark Lee and Vandy, they're excited about it. I mean, they have to be. It's, it's, it's happening. But they are taking the more patient approach to how they're going to make sure what's right for the program is right for the program and not just unveil something over the last two or three weeks. That, that was very telling to me. Yeah, and he said, uh, you know, talking about the recruiting efforts at Vanderbilt, said that he wants it to be a football decision first and foremost. They don't use the term fallback plan in their building, went on to say that we don't apologize for being Vanderbilt. Says that the goal is to ultimately win, but I'm not gonna talk about win-loss record right now, because there are other ways to show progress other than wins and losses in the early going, which I think is right. That's, Look, that's we've, right. We've interviewed Clark Lee. I, I've got no issues with what he's doing. We talked about the lack of numbers. He ended that yesterday, I think. That was quick. The numbers were presented to the players day two or day three of practice, so it lasted a, a couple of days. What to do about nothing. Uh, with that. So, Which is why um, you don't do yeah, it. Yeah, and, and I have less of a problem with it because it ended so quickly with that. He's got a big job ahead of them. He talked a lot about and was asked about the Vanderbilt Fund. And I know I don't know all the ins and outs. I do know that this is a point of contention with college baseball people, that Vandy baseball one of the reasons they stay so dominant is their utilization of the Vandy Fund and how there's workarounds for the scholarship limitations yeah. and money they can give yes. to people that's not on athletic scholarship but really is on athletic scholarship to load up that baseball roster. He was asked about that in terms of NIL, and he said it's very beneficial. He said that will be something that's it's very beneficial to Vandy athletics and could be very beneficial with NIL. So that's if we're looking at possible advantages – that's something to keep in mind. It's been an advantage for the baseball program. Can they use that now in NIL to help service football and basketball? It's a possibility, and Clark Lee is stating that. We should also point out that we have seen at least two coaches who have told us that their team reaches that threshold that the SEC is looking for of 80% vaccinations for their team. Saban said that Alabama is around 90% uh, for their roster vaccinations. And we know Clark Lee has 100%. Because to get into school at Vanderbilt, you must be vaccinated. So we, we've seen at least two programs today that are among the six teams that Sankey was referring to earlier this week. Nick Saban could be a very influential vaccine guy. Did you he's see? Cut, he's cut yeah, he's uh, PSAs <clears throat> yeah. in the state of Alabama about getting vaccinated. And it's still, I think, the lowest percentage in the country, or one of the two or three, is the state of Alabama. I saw someone tweet this, and I thought the same thing. Yet another example of why Nick Saban dominates. He is coaching a team in a state 
that many of them refuse to get vaccinated. I, I and he's got over 90% of his roster vaccinated. Why? Because Nick Saban Said, lays back. down the law. And uh, you've got Josh Heupel, which is understandable. He's a first-year coach. But he's saying, we're not at 80% yet, but we'll, we should be there by the start I, of the I season. Want, I want to point out something that I think is going to show its ugly head during the season. And that is Sankey and uh, the SEC standing up at a podium saying that they are not going to postpone games. You will forfeit for positives. If they force a team to forfeit games for positive tests among vaccinated players, this this is a total sham. They should differentiate vaccinated This is a total sham. That question has not been an- asked or answered to my knowledge. But if he's standing at the podium telling that he wants teams at 80% and only six teams have reached that threshold, if you reach that threshold and you test positive as a vaccinated player, you should be able to play, Absolutely. period, Absolutely. point blank. I agree And if that's not the case, this entire PR move is a sham because you're telling all of them in order to not forfeit, take the shot. And if that's true, say it, state it, and forget about it. That's, that's the one thing that I'm trying to read between the lines on that we've yet to reach. And when it happens, how are they going to react? We saw what happened at the College World Series. The SEC doesn't need to be that. Yeah. It should be about unvaccinated players at that stage, uh, if at all. Did you see Lane Kiffin about Bryce Young? This was classic. Somebody told Lane Kiffin at the beginning of his press conference that Bryce Young was already had a million dollars on NIL deals. And he was like, I cannot even get my head around that number. That's amazing. And then four minutes later in the press conference, Kiffin took a question and he paused for a second and he, and he kind of turned his head back to the guy who asked that question. And he turned to his PR guy and he said, you did not prepare me for this. He said, he paused the question and he's like, <laughs> I still cannot get my head around this Bryce Young thing from four minutes ago. Like he's taking a couple of questions. He's, well, Nick he Saban, was just shaking his head. He's like, I cannot handle this. Nick Saban said this when he was talking about NIL, and Nick Saban does nothing by accident. Yeah. It's a great recruiting pitch. Oh, and what a to drop! Everyone out what a there drop! We've already got it's almost a million dollars for a guy at, who hasn't played media day. that hasn't been a starter yet at quarterback. It's 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 a terrific job by him. He also was asked about it today again. He followed up. And was asked and wouldn't get specific, would not confirm that number of close to a million. So maybe he's kind of floating that out there as something that he's heard, but isn't quite true. Or he's telling a couple people, "Hey, get me to the million. Let's finish well, this it deal also to get to the immediately yeah, closing." <laughs> and always be closing. Maybe the market squares itself at some point, but it immediately shows a level that I don't think we all thought they would get to quickly. A million dollars in nil. We for saw a quarterback two, at Alabama? We saw two million for a basketball player at TSU. Masterpiece. Yeah. Still. But, I mean, I, but he's not Arch Manning, we're going to see that for Arch Manning. Yeah, but I don't think that – at least I didn't think we're going to see it right away like this. Now, it may come down. You know, they may say we're not going to spend this much, different companies, because we're not getting a return on investment. It may level itself out. But once again, two, two reasons, just two more reasons, to show the dominance of Nick Saban. In the state of Alabama – that refuses to get vaccinated. He's got over 90% of his roster <laughs> yeah. vaccinated. And he's, he's got, got a million, million dollars, dollars for a guy who hasn't Alabama for a guy who's never been a starter before in, in Bryce Young. Uh, just, just amazing. And Hutton, going back to your point, it's a great one. Total sham. Yes. And schools should riot yes. if they're forced to forfeit with a roster that's over 80% vaccinated or they're sitting guys out 
because they've double vaccinated yep. and they still tested positive. Well, he kind and of, you're going into a game. It, I, we talked about this last year. There's going to be points where teams, Vandy did this. You're going to have to back out of games, even if you have technically the right amount of players, because at some point it's unsafe to go with fourth string guys against certain teams and have a lack of depth in a game. You can't sit guys out who are vaccinated. Is this a conference by conference it. rule? Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, Sankey should absolutely just uh, – I, I don't even think – I mean, I don't know what the rules are in terms of what kind of approval he has, but this seems to me like it should be a papal decree from well, Sankey. everyone waits on Greg Sankey to speak at SEC Media Days and then they follow suit. Like, you know, their, their approach like – the other Remember last year, their approach to starting at a certain time versus the Big Ten or, or other leagues, Pac-12, you, you didn't know – how they were going to handle things. And in fact, the Big Ten announced they were starting late before the SEC even held their media days. And then Sankey showed up and said, we're, we're gonna play a full schedule, an SEC schedule, and here's our plan. And, and you saw things fall into place from there. Um, again, like if, if they get into a part of, of the season where after decreeing that you need to be at a certain threshold uh, in order to avoid forfeit, he didn't use that word, the F word is what he said. Um, and then we get to a season where a team uh, has some positive tests for vaccinated players, which I don't even, I mean, they, 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 they say they tested around 350, they administered 350,000 tests last year alone. It doesn't need to be nearly that amount with well, the, the attention on the vaccinated down. teams that frequency are reaching this threshold down. and that other coaches are now going back to these locker rooms and saying that here's what you're doing to avoid uh, a certain outcome or avoid not being able to play. And if they go back on that, the way they phrased everything this week, which is very planned and meticulous with his opening statement and, and how he addresses the media, setting the stage for the year to come. If there's some gray area in between all that, complete sham. I think vaccinated NFL guys might be getting tested only once every two weeks. Once, once a week tops, but I think it might be once every two weeks. Well, one way so, to cut down on that is stop testing vaccinated players. Which if you've they got did proof it, of double vaccination. But but why are they even being tested? But, but well, I, I bring up I bring up the college still, world series that, because it's they didn't test. you can pass it to the unvaccinated. If you get the unvaccinated numbers down, then it's much less of a worry. But they didn't test the the vaccinated players at the college world series until an unvaccinated player tested, tested positive. positive. Then that's, they tested the vaccinated right. players and counted against NC State, even though those players were vaccinated, which is a sham. Yeah. I, I don't I don't buy into that line of thinking at all. And if the SEC post not they're not even saying they're they're saying they're not postponing. They're not building in extra time based on the sports calendar. So if they force a team to miss a game and forfeit due to this, by re, after reaching that eighty percent threshold, it's it's the opposite of what they're saying this but week. But here too is the what I'm thinking is the worst case scenario, right? If in fact a vaccinated person can conceivably transmit it without being symptomatic, right? So you don't know you have it, but you could conceivably transmit it. You could only transmit it to that 20%. If you lose that 20% of your roster, you're still fully functional at 80%, right? And so sure. you go about your business. But and just thinking about it, the, the age group. So there's no forfeiting, there's no anything. The, the age group that these players are in uh, and whatever decision they want to make on that, uh, maybe they've already had COVID during the season last year, and they're only getting vaccinated for the simple aspect of doing it for the team, which is what the coaches are preaching, what? doing it for the team. Uh, if they're only doing it for that reason and they still forfeit games 
that no, you can't it, forfeit games. It's a it's a shame. If but that's even the case. if it's uh, but I just this is where logic is thrown out the window with all these decisions at times. Even if eighteen percent of your roster is unvaccinated and you're over eighty percent, and you still test those that are vaccinated and they test positive, and Paul, you're saying, well, they're still at risk of getting the other eighteen percent, but they still need to play. What's the fear? I mean, you're, they're going to go out right. there and they're still going to get 18% of the other team possibly infected or go out and practice. We're just, well, I'm saying we've, you, lo- we've you lost the, these kids are at real risk of this virus. No well, one's talking about that. We're talking about eligibility numbers with everything. And when we're getting into that, I don't know why we're still even testing vaccinated players. Well, I'm saying if they're looking, uh, if in their worst case scenario, I think, which shouldn't, their worst case scenario shouldn't prevent a team from playing. Their worst case scenario is 20% of your team could be sick with COVID. And you should still be able to function with 80% of your roster, right? Now, maybe it drains you at a position or something. But again, then just stop testing. If it's all just about staying eligible to have a game, and you're not really worried about the, the vaccinated getting the unvaccinated sick or what the repercussions of getting sick, if you're treating it like uh, another virus and you're not looking at it that way, then what's the point of even oh, testing? Yeah, just look so if you get over the 80% threshold, here's an idea to save a lot of money and time for everyone. Don't test. And then just treat. Don't even test the unvaccinated players. Well, test and just treat for the symptomatic. Test if they're symptomatic. Yeah. Treat the symptomatic. Um, and maybe that's what they're going to do. But and I, I'm not saying Sankey is, is, is trying to create a gray area here. I Maybe hasn't the, gotten there yet. We just know that the ebbs and flows of this change, despite what people say in the past. And the way, the way it's being laid out to players now, and, and him specifically mentioning six, only six of the teams have reached that 80% threshold. We know Alabama and Vanderbilt are two of them. Um, and we know Tennessee's close, but they're not one of those teams. But Heupel's saying they you, will be there by the first game. But if you go back to the Tennessee locker room and you have the players who were there at SEC Media Days reiterate this, like, hey, they're, they're, we're not postponing games. There's a real threat of them forcing us to forfeit if, based on the way the rules are lined up right now, get vaccinated. And if these players choose to do so, they shouldn't have to forfeit games based on the way Sankey lined things up. Am I uh, being foolish to think that those who have now decided that they're not getting vaccinated, that the threat of forfeiting a game is not going to change their mind on it? I feel like you're pretty a dug in at this point. A lot are I feel like you're pretty dug in at this point that even if your teammates come back and say, hey, guys, we need three more players that are unvaccinated to get vaccinated to go over 80%, that's really going to help us. I don't think there's a large percentage of athletes out there that are young and healthy that have decided not to get vaccinated, they'll say, okay, yeah, now I'll do it. Yeah. Also, Albert Breer on the NFL level wrote that this is a third rail topic in locker rooms. People are leaving it alone, like you leave alone uh, family and religion. Uh, So uh, I'd like to talk about the Titans' potential to regress in close games, which is an area that uh, analytics suggest the Titans could suffer this year. That and we need to discuss the scenario that's about to happen tonight in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken and the predicament it's going to put David Poyle in. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360.
Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Chris Johnston, who was uh, a guest during the Stanley Cup final run on our, our previous show, excellent NHL reporter, tweets out that he's here in the Seattle Kraken. Uh, they have preserved more valuable cap space by passing on Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne in Nashville. The belief is they are going to select Callie Yarncroke instead of Johansson and Duchesne, passing on whatever deal David Poyle offered and passing on the money that would be owed, which would be $8 million per season uh, for both Johansson and Duchesne. Duchesne has a year longer on his contract than Johansson does. So Poyle is now left with Duchesne and Johansson and likely losing the unprotected Callie Yarncroke and not getting a deal done. It's disappointing because it's, it's a big loss in the short term and long term. Yarncroke, 13 goals last year, uh, huge to the second line, penalty kill. Um, it's, a, it's a painful loss. And it's also painful that they're keeping Matt Duchesne. Yeah, simply put, that yeah. sucks. That's the part. Never mind it's, anything except not losing Duchesne. Yeah, and, and I thought Poyle handled everything right this week. You know, he, he praised Ryan Ellis. He's pr- praised Victor Arvidsson on the way out. And he, he left certain players unprotected, in my belief, because he thought he would get a deal done and dictate who was going to be selected in this draft. And instead, he leaves a, a, a good player and uh, a strong hope for now and the future headed to Seattle could instead. Could you have sweetened that? I mean, we don't know what the offer was. I don't know. But could, couldn't you have sweetened it? That would have been so big. I mean, how awkward it, is it the sucks Matt to keep the guy. It sucks to keep point. him. With all the talk about him and getting unprotected and then will they pull off a deal to get rid of him? It's just a very awkward situation to me that, well, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne just walked and, back and, in. And Granlin and Halla are both uh, unrestricted. They've lost uh, Yarncroke and Arvidsson. Um, it's, a, it's a forward group with a lot of holes. And they, they're bringing back Duchesne, who's uh, just not good, uh, ha, has not been a match for this team. Well and, well, and also an overpaid guy who's not been productive. Well, I right. guess what That's you the hope. That's biggest issue with the salary So cap. what you hope now is that the guy has a come to Jesus off season where I don't know how much the attitude could change, right? He is who he is. But the production can change. He's produced in the league before. That's why they went and got him. So is it inconceivable that he resurfaces in his third season here and produces? I know none of us are real high on the right. idea, but that's what you've got to hope for now because he's yours. He's not going anywhere. For the yeah, you're Unless right. you're making a deadline deal to somebody that is having a good year and you'd want him to be having a good year in order to be attractive as a deadline deal. So you need to root for the guy now. It, al- it also says that, you, you, that the contract doesn't match the production. And Kraken, the Kraken no, are not even willing to trade to receive future considerations for taking on that contract as an expansion team. They're being financially sound. That's, they're going to spend they're not, their money somewhere They're being else. financially sound, not just this year, but moving forward, likely knowing what Duchesne has been both on the ice and behind the scenes in Nashville. And he's not a malcontent. He's just an excuse maker. And in that league, in the fabric of a locker room like that, that doesn't go well, especially when you're the highest paid outside player uh, other than Joe Hansen and uh, other than Yossi, uh, who are homegrown talents, and then of course Joe Hansen coming in, and you've got you've got Duchesne who has been talked about for years. They finally get a deal done, a, a, a big deal done, and he's been uh, he's been terrible. 
I do think three guys, uh, you know, I'm saying no attitude adjustment. There are three guys that should put some pressure on him to change that mindset a little bit. It starts with Poyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to the head coach and you go to the captain. And, and the GM, the head coach, and the captain should be able to say, you know, have a calm sit down with the guy and say, look, these first two seasons haven't really worked out. Why? You know, let's get to the bottom of why. Let's talk about how we can reconstruct this thing into a better, uh, a better thing that's going to benefit you and therefore benefit us. And we're reshaping this team somewhat. You know, it's no secret you were unprotected. Mm-hmm. And now you're here. And, and, uh, uh, let's make this thing a better experience for everybody. Let's have you be a part of us, uh, you know, in this second phase of your career here. Paul, you have some numbers uh, regarding the Titans and their uh, ability with, in close games to win. They did a great job at this last year. But you have some, some historical facts and figures to point to what it may be like the year after going 7-2 and two in one-score games in the NFL. This comes from Warren Sharp, who uh, we all like and respect, who's great analytics guy. And so he's looking at, you know, reasons to be optimistic and reasons not to be optimistic about the Titans. And I think Football Outsiders reflects this as well. Teams that are outrageously good in one-score games, and they count one-score games as seven points or fewer, in a given season drop off. So the Titans were 7-2 and two last year, 78% win rate in one-score games. In the last five years, 19 teams have won 75% or better in one-score games. Only one team did not drop off from that. Generally, the average of these teams is that they won 83% in their good year. The next year, they won at 48% percent. So if you take these seven games, that would drop the Titans really if you fiddle with the decimal points from seven and two to four and three in these games. The regression to the mean. And that would get the Titans to like 8.6 wins and 7.9 losses, not accounting for the 17th game. This is an area, you know, the Titans since 2010, are 44 and 44 in one-score games. Now, a lot of people came at me when I wrote this and said, well, you're not accounting for more blowouts that they should have with the better offense and all of that. That's all fine. History suggests they're going to have eight one-score games, and that's not accounting again for the 17th game. And history says if you do really well in one-score games one year, you fall back to the mean the next year just because in one-score games it generally balances out in a year. Not that, that because you were good last year, you won't be good this year. Just because in an average year, it's pretty your average. Well, in one score, of course, can mean you need a touchdown. And or, the, the Titans offense can go and get that. But if you need a field goal, <laughs> if you need a field goal. We saw it last year. Look, Sam Sloman helped them win in Houston. <clears throat> Uh, Goskowski won in Minnesota. He won in, in Denver in his worst game. Won in Denver. Almost lost it in Denver, but <laughs> Several then eventually times. won it. Uh, extremely yeah. valuable. But we, we also saw some missed kicks along the way, and their offense was still able to separate the score, pick up the pace. They won a lot of games. Uh, but it goes back to the kicker. for the When I think one-score games and I think pressure-packed moments, the Titans, in the, in the mo- they, they were extremely clutch last year. And can that carry over? A part of that 
is hitting a 42-yard field goal with the, with the game on the line and <laughs> with the practice on the line uh, and what's been documented from OTAs and minicamps, it hasn't been very good for, uh, for kicks. I think one thing that helps them in this area under Vrabel is that he's really good at managing the clock. Mm-hmm. at the end of the game. They almost always have their timeouts yep. stacked up in, yep. in their favor at the end of a game. All of these things tilt the field a little bit in their favor in these close situations. Um, you know, and if they're blowing out teams more often, you know, that, that's fun to say. But the fact of the matter is, even if you're really good offensively, plus you, you're saying you're going to be really good offensively, but we all know we don't know what they have defensively yet especially with Dupree at the beginning, undoubtedly not himself yet. So this is just something to keep in mind. One-score games are the lifeblood of the league in terms of the entertainment value and in terms of the high percentage of games that are decided by seven points or fewer. And the Titans lived a a glorious life with that last year. It's very rare you have back-to-back seasons where things go so greatly in your favor in that. It's usually more balanced. Coming up, a uh, great announcement on how you can join us out on the town as a VIP of the show, season ticket holder, Outkick 360. We, we have details you. on that and details how we're going to win some money tonight through PK's 360 parlay. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. We are back with the daily parlay, Outkick 360, and we are loading up tonight on the Houston Astros. It's on PK. I'm making my bets right now. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Paul, you're going with the Astros money line against the Indians. Uh, Because they are the biggest favorite in Major League Baseball tonight. I pair it with a very difficult uh, side, Hany Mukhtar of the uh, Nashville Soccer Club, who's fresh off a hat trick. Uh, a hat trick in how how in quickly? Fifteen minutes, wow. which is remarkable. Which means he will not score a goal for a month. <laughs> right, after scoring three uh, in one game. But my sources tell me that he was hot before this. He's hitting posts. He's been he's been primed to All score. Right. So we're going to take a flyer that okay. he remains hot here, uh, and this combines to be plus seven thirty. Long shot. Five dollars pays out forty one fifty four. Uh, I hated Hanny Mukhtar last year. I thought he was uh, overrated. We will and love him tonight. Far too many expectations. It's hard to argue with three goals in 15 minutes uh, the other night, one of which was a very impressive that was cool. kick. I thought and, it was Hani Mukhtar. He'll be the uh, penalty kick taker. That's the, that's the, uh, okay. This is the first time I'm ever going to correct Paul on a soccer pronunciation. I believe it's Hani Mukhtar. Hani. What did yeah. I say? Hani. Hani, Hani. You say Hani, I say Hani. I think it's Hani. I'm just, I'm just glad Paul didn't say Yanni or Yanni. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I hit the H there. It's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard one to avoid. Uh, so Astros money line and then Hani Mukhtar as an anytime goal scorer tonight as Nashville SC takes on Columbus. Uh, both of those games uh, will be done by 9 o'clock or so. So you can load up with us, Outkick360. Uh, just search uh, fanduelcom slash OK360 for more info on how to join us. Uh, you can join us as well next week, Chad. A big event coming up. we got a Outkick 360 night out on the way next Thursday night. Uh, we're going to show it. Maybe you'll be able to read it this time, the graphic. Maybe not. Look at that. It's beautiful. Whoa! Outkick 360 Look night at that. out next Thursday night. Nice 6 job, 6 to 8 ladies. p.m. 
Lance and Jacob are invited. David Reed's invited. We'll see if any of them show up. <laughs> Probably not. Next Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m., Downtown Sporting up. Club on Broadway. Uh, simply DM us. Slide into our DMs if you want to be a part of this. You can mention us on Twitter also or email us at 360 at outkick.com. Let us know if you want to be in. Let us know if you're bringing a guest. We will be very careful in our selections. This will be 10 to 12 people that we will allow on this venture. Certainly, if you wanted to show up at Downtown Sporting Club, you could. Nothing stopping you from joining us on the roof, but we will have freebies for 10 to 12 of you that want to come hang out, have a good time, have some food, have some drinks, tell some stories. That's next Thursday night, July 29th, 6 to 8 p.m., Downtown Sporting Club in Nashville. Slide into our DMs if you I, want to be a part of this. I had an editor at the Tennessee that we tried to get to come out to uh, uh, events like this, you mm-hmm. know, or when, when we went out together. And uh, he'd always say, it's uh, parking, too much parking, <laughs> parking trouble. He, he wasn't much of a socialite, but he'd always blame the parking. So uh, he'd say it in advance, or sometimes he'd say he was coming, and then after he didn't show up, he'd say, yeah, I drove by, the park, parking was just really difficult. Paul, I want to wrap up just by getting your thoughts on the U.S. women's national team at the Olympics, which are underway. This counts. Uh, they were shut out, and they end a 44-match win streak by losing to Sweden 3-0 in their opening match at the Olympic Games, uh, the U.S. women's national soccer team, uh, which are, are going to win gold. Uh, th- that's the expectation. Yes. Uh, and they lose right out of the gate 3-0 against Sweden. It's a bad loss uh, from what I read. Uh, the U.S. played very flat, uh, lifeless, uh, and Sweden, the exact opposite, came out uh, with a good game plan and really took it to us. Um, you know, not dead, but Sweden stands to win the group. Sweden's a very good team. Mm-hmm. So Sweden stands to win the group if it takes care of the rest of its business, which then puts the U.S. in second in its group, which means then when you move on to the bracket play, you're playing a first-place team from, from another place, uh, another group, which makes it harder. So their bracket stretch gets harder if they rebound and do what they're expected to do the rest of the way. I can't remember who they're playing next. They're going to face a very angry U.S. team that I imagine bounces back in a very big way. Another Olympic story. Four o'clock in the morning games, tough. Another Olympic story that you you may not know about, but uh, currently at Outkick.com, Joe Kinsey has a story about an Asian black bear that's on the loose, the softball complex. Oh, yeah. Not once, but twice. This uh, bear has broken into the softball complex to uh, pillage the concessions or whatever's around there. And uh, they have been playing loud music and doing different things to try to scare the bear away scare the bear. from the softball At least complex. one of these softball fields is a baseball field with a temporary fence put uh, up. I mean, there's extra. Oh no, that's that space. is the softball field. Yeah, so they really. I watched put a the, lot the USA that. women's uh, highlights. <laughs> like their beds. And it's very confusing to see where <laughs> you look at it, you're like, why are the infielders playing in the grass? Why are they so close well, up? Oh no, the, the bases are all in the grass. Did you see? Move it in. Did you weak. see where? Uh, For the best thing, the best event in the sport, that's weak. This, by the way, will lead into a topic I want to get into on Friday yeah. before the opening ceremonies. Women's sports in the United States and the dominance of them because of the care we put into women's sports in this country compared to every non-totalitarian government in history with how they treat their women is amazing. And I think that the fact that Tokyo doesn't have an actual softball field 
they've transformed a baseball field to a softball field it's weak. is proof of that. We'll, we'll get into that on Friday. It's a good topic. Also, uh, just real quick, we were talking about the, the cardboard beds yesterday. Uh, and Paul's, Paul's right, too. I mean, it's, it's easy to just get rid of them at the end of the games. Um, did you see where the gymnastics team, the women's gymna- gymnastics team, they're going to stay in a hotel instead. They're not going to stay in the Olympic Village. Who's financing this project, this Chad? They're not staying Chad's on the cardboard beds at the Olympic Village. I applaud this big girl move. <laughs> Who's financing this by project? them? Uh, probably U.S. Gymnastics. <laughs> I don't know. Or any I'm one of the curious. thousands of lawsuits that they've won recently because of the mismanagement yeah. of U.S. women's but, gymnastics. So I thought to myself, more power to them. Are, is the is the U.S. men's basketball team doing this? Like that? Oh, I'm, that I'm to sure me would be a recruiting it. tool to get those guys to play. Oh, I'm sure they're doing it from the beginning. I don't know, they're I, staying I, at the fanciest hotel. That's the only story I've seen. Also, where there's no lack of hotel rooms now because of no fans. Right. So, yeah. Every hotel I don't know in town. The entire U.S. team wouldn't just stay in hotels if that's a massive flex. Well, right. <laughs> Who's paying for the archery team to stay in a hotel? I don't know. That's the problem. Again, like it's a baller move. You know what? Screw the Olympic Village. We're going to get a five-star hotel. I mean, they're not, you know, some some of these athletes don't get paid handsomely to begin with. This is the least that the Olympic Committee could do for them is give them uh, nice provisions while they're participating. Well, Simone Biles may be the face of these games. She should be uh, first class. Now, what they've done, though, they they have, they found, it's not a, it's a loophole that shouldn't be described as that. It's a loophole. They, They... got approval for this because one of their members tested positive for COVID. And so they're able to stay in the hotel by saying, hey, let's not infect Olympic Village. But they're also sleeping in a much better bed and it'll be a much friendlier confines as they prepare to go in gold in Tokyo. I mean, it sets up perfectly for them. I'm not saying that these young ladies would be partying during these two weeks. (laughs) But maybe when their competition's over, if that happens the first week, the, the clout that you have to be able to party with other athletes from other countries in your hotel yeah. when every other country has to go sleep on a, a cardboard bed in the Olympic Village is pretty cool. If I was an Olympic nice athlete, I would pray for my event to be early and over and that I could stay. Yep. Oh, that would be the best time of year. You're not allowed to stay. Well, because of COVID now. Yeah, you're forced to leave within like a three-day period after. Well, I would stay for those three days, I'll tell you that. And those would be three of the best days of my life. We are back at it for another great day for Outkick 360 tomorrow. Join us at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. John McClain is going to join us tomorrow at 11.15. Plus, we'll have the Tennessee Power Hour all ahead on the Thursday edition. Curveball. The merge lane is for gathering speed. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.